0: A business plan is generally a good starting point for building a company. And our guest is simple, I'll figure it out. She's been successful so far with that plan and will soon expand her unique live music focused wine bar into two more locations. Stay tuned to hear her story.
1: Welcome to unusually successful where you will meet a series of people who have achieved extraordinary results in life and business. Join your host, Sean Dipple, as he looks to learn what made these people unusually successful.
0: All right, we have Julie Redmond with Sweet Sippin' in Simpsonville. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I see the logo on the hat. It's looking good, representing this. All that brand. So tell me all about Sweet Sippin'.
1: Well, we are a small, cozy, intimate spot in Simpsonville right now. Uh, Really try to focus on creating memories and experiences for people and supporting our live music scene.
0: Memories and experiences for people. Yes. I like it.
1: Yes. No TVs. So unfortunately, it's not where you come to watch the game or the latest political debate.
0: Wow. But. How refreshing.
1: I know. That's what we're trying for. Yeah. For four years, people have kept trying to encourage us to bring them in, and I refuse. Really? I refuse. No, it's about the people that you're with. Yeah. So.
0: So it's more of an experience, a place to go to enjoy being together and hearing great music.
1: Exactly. And relaxing and understanding, you know, I think the wine world and industry can tend to be a little pretentious. Mm. So there's so much to learn, and I want people to be able to do that in a comfortable environment.
0: Well, your place is certainly comfortable. We've been there several times. It's great. Thank you. And the music is wonderful.
1: Yeah, we have some amazing talent. There's so much talent in this area that, yeah. you know, just giving them a, a venue to showcase original stuff, especially, I think brings a lot to the community.
0: How many nights a week do you have live music?
1: Every day we're open.
0: Every day? Six days a week. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is that a challenge to find? No. I'm, no. Very,
1: like I said, very fortunate. Even If you look at our our. Past roster, uh, we tend to get the same musicians wanting to come back, um, and that just increases, you know, the interest for other young musicians, especially um, you know people that are just trying to get out and and help show, showcase their voices. So that's what we try to offer.
0: There's not a lot of p- places that you can go to to showcase. Your original music I wouldn't think
1: no I think I think that you're right and I think that the community now is starting to recognize the value and the talent that we have in South Carolina mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of you know the shows on TV the, the talent shows there's a lot of talent here that has been able to kind of get on that bigger stage so people are like oh you know we do we do have some wonderful things here and I think you know being able to go and, and hear covers and go to the clubs where it's, you know, the same music that you're hearing on the radio. I think that there's something that people are recognizing that a unique experience and being able to hear something different um, and also support and get to know that's the beauty I think of our space is they've now not only able to showcase their music, but they're also able to develop a following and mm. to see people that don't only support them in my space, but at other venues. And it's, you know, it paced I think, to see a, a familiar face in the crowd when you're, Bearing your soul to a bunch of strangers. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. So tell me about the location there in Simpsonville and your store. You just recently remodeled. So it kind of has a completely new look and vibe to it.
1: It does. I mean, the bones that we have in that building are absolutely incredible. It's a
0: historic building.
1: It it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I could talk a little more about the true history, but there seems to be a little bit of a, a gap in the history books. I'm not really sure of all of its history, but it has been a gathering place before. I know it used to be a pool, not a pool hall per se, but there used to be pool tables in there, and I think they had a little grill where they did like hot dogs and hamburgers. It used to be a bit of a, a hangout spot kind of back in the day, and then it was transitioned back into more of an office-type sitting before the Howards ended up uh, reestablishing the Bones again and exposing everything, and they did an amazing job with the foundation of it, and then fortunately, we were able to just have a little bit of a vision and taken it literally to the next level and put the roof on this past December, which was a great undertaking, and very nerve-wracking undertaking, but it's absolutely gorgeous. And again, the bones up there to be able to be surrounded by another story of brick on two sides. It's just a very special place. We're very excited.
0: And when you say the roof on, you mean the rooftop area that you can go up to and, and yes. hang out?
1: Yes, Yeah, we got a great rooftop bar up there again carried the same aesthetic upstairs very uh, cozy and intimate and you know able to create various spaces and whenever we're able to put the music up there three days a week uh, again it's just a a totally different type of of energy for to be able to experience something like that that we just don't have in Simpsonville right now. Yeah
0: so when did you open the store?
1: We opened in May of 2017.
0: 2017 and Mm -hmm. how many employees do you have?
1: Well with we've had a little bit of a, a transition with kind of downsizing what we're going to be increasing again currently we have 4
0: that help you out in the store that full time yeah throughout the week and mm-hmm. that's i mean that's not a tremendous amount of employees considering you're open 6 days a week right and uh, the and the hours how many hours a day are you open
1: 4:30 until ish. whenever yeah. yeah the ish yeah. until the ish factor yeah yeah but we usually run our music until at least 10 or 11 you know, Sundays are short day. We usually close around seven on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's manageable, you know, for two of us. Uh, usually on Fridays and Saturdays, we'll bring three people in, including myself. So, yeah.
0: So, when you go to the to your location, what kind of an experience can we get from a wine standpoint? Because it is a wine bar. Mm-hmm. So, what can we expect there? Am I going to go there and get Silver Oak and J. lore and those kinds of things, or are you looking for things that? We can't buy in the grocery store. What's the what's the intent there? The
1: latter again. I feel like that's part of the experience. Um, if you can get something that you can you know get at Publix, then what's going to make that unique about coming out and, and enjoying it somewhere sure. else? Um, yeah. You know, you're about creating that type of memory that you can't create at home. You know, I think it's good, bad, and different. We don't actually have a printed wine list. We always joke. People are like, oh, do you have a wine list? I said, I'm your wine list. So it's kind of fun to see my employees now say, no, well, we are your, we're a walking wine list. Mm. So part of that is because I do try to bring new wines in on a regular basis again. So you're constantly coming back and finding something new, but then there are a few staple wines that we just have such a following for that we do keep those around all the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I want you to be able to ask questions. We, we give samples. We want people to try to find what, you know, they enjoy. And, um, I think that's again, part of the experience that we can bring to the table that maybe you can't get everywhere else because you're too afraid to ask or you're too afraid to give your opinion if you don't like it. You know, we don't get offended. We want to make sure that you get that glass, whether it's beer or wine, because we have craft beer as well. Um, We've got a great cider selection too. Uh, So just overall that you can just sit back, relax, and truly enjoy what you're there to do.
0: And you have plans to expand the brand as well, right?
1: Yes. Even within Simpsonville, we're, we're in the process of trying to bring in a small kitchen uh, to kind of elevate our ability to do more with, with our wine and alcohol list, mm-hmm. bring some more flightable things in there and more sippable things. Um, but within Greenville as well, we uh, are very excited to have a couple this fall, one that will be a little more eclectic. Um, and then one that'll be a little more traditional and right in line with the brand that'll be right on Augusta Street with a rooftop and wow. A nice, cozy, intimate atmosphere with the same support of local music and, and other type of events.
0: Same brand, same kind of feel, but maybe just uh, a different location other than the eclectic one.
1: Exactly. Yes. So the Augusta Street is going to be sweet sipping. We've got a roof, like I said, rooftop, it's brick, it's wood, it's you know going to be a cozy bar. Same staff is going to be looking to populate both spaces as well. So it'll be familiar faces as well as some new, but yeah, but same wine list would be transitioning over. So again, all your favorites that you would get in Simpsonville, you'd be able to enjoy in Greenville. So uh, very excited though. Just again, a new space, new dynamic returning back to the Greenville scene. We've, you know, we, we've been out since April, so we're very excited to get back for our, our Greenville constituents as well.
0: Yeah. Well, that's exciting. So you're going to go from one location to three locations by this fall?
1: Yeah, a little terrified.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's a pretty, uh, <laughs> that's a big undertaking.
1: Plus I'll be an empty nester. I got two girls going off to college too. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of transitions this oh, fall.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> now do your girls help you in the store now?
1: My oldest does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you're losing.
0: I'm losing, losing one of my four. Help. <laughs> yeah, oh no. So is that going to triple your employee base uh, or your employee count?
1: It, well, yes. And it, it'll at least double. Um, you know, obviously Simpsonville is very manageable with the two levels um, as the weather kind of cools down. You know, the rooftop will be a little bit less of a population factor for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very manageable. I mean, I manage it on Tuesdays typically alone. It's my leg day. Uh, up and down the stairs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, saves me on the- Good workout. Uh, it does. Saves me on the gym membership. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, but we will be obviously looking for a number of different positions to be filled. So uh, that's, that's I think, the exciting part of the growth. Uh, yeah. You know, I love the people that we have with us. I tend to make it more about family than just employment. So we got great, great, great people that work for me now. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking forward to, you know, being able to create more relationships like that and expand the family. Mm-hmm so
0: so what's your recruiting strategy
1: organic yeah yeah I mean it's just you find people that you connect with that you think connect with your patrons that understand what we're trying to do you know I've always said anybody can pour beer and wine anybody can say that they have the best beer and wine list it's it's not about that for me it's about again being able to connect create relationships and everybody says we have we have our own community within sweet sippin Mm -hmm. that's the thing I'm most focused on bringing to Greenville because I don't know that that's necessarily here per se. So that's what we want to create that comfortable space that every time you walk in, you know, somebody, whether that's your bartender or another regular that's sitting at the bar, but it's a place that you feel comfortable.
0: It's really exciting to hear that you're growing. So what is the thought behind going to more right away? I mean, as someone who's not in the business, I would think, okay, let's open another one. Get that one going, and then let's open another one and get that one going. But you're like, hey, let's just open two more.
1: Sean, don't make. I don't want to scare you anymore. Make me second guess myself. Jeez, are you crazy? (laughs) What the the heck, woman? What are you doing? What
0: were you thinking? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, that's just it. I've just been very fortunate to have the opportunities that I've had. I feel like there's been a little bit of in the right place at the right time. In this day and age right now, you find location, as we all know, for everything, and it's location is everything. Sure. I am a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So fortunately, unfortunately, with the slight delay with the West End location, uh, we were just very fortunate to be able to have an opportunity in the West Village that kind of came up that. I truly felt that I would be a fool not to take advantage of. Yeah. And again I feel like that's another community that would really support conceptually what we're trying to bring in and and foster that other sense of community so again not just about oh it's a could be a really cool building but the community would would rally behind it. I and I know how much I love my Simpsonville location like that's my flag that's my heart that's my soul it's been my passion for 4 years and I really see that that new location, even though it's going to be a little more eclectic, really has the opportunity to bring that same type of thing to the community and offer it to my musicians. And so again, I feel like I'd just be a fool not to, you know, you got to take risks.
0: Yeah. You're seizing the opportunity.
1: You got to take risks. You know, I feel like if you fail, that's still, that's still a small victory. You know, you, you learn, this is not where my education came from. You know, I'm, we're all kind of just fumbling through this together. I've learned a lot in Simpsonville for the last four years. Again, been so fortunate to have some amazing patrons that never cease to share their advice and their their guidance (laughs) over a beer or a glass of wine. So it's, uh, again, I just feel like I'm a fool not to. I I, At that point in my life where I just, you can't live with, with regret. So I'd rather try and fail than regret not trying at all.
0: Well, it sounds like you're on your way to success. <laughs> See, I mean, you just...
1: Talk to me in a few more months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll
0: have to have you back. You know, where is she now? <laughs> the updated version. She's back
1: in Canada <laughs> with with a case of wine.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I would I would venture to guess that a lot of your patrons probably come not only for the live music, and it's a really cool spot, Thank but you. they also come for you. So how do you duplicate that in the other two locations?
1: Well, I, I mean, I... I'm not going to leave any of them unattended. Yeah. You know, so that's what I'm just hoping. It's just going to have to be a sharing of the Julie factor. Yeah. Put on my my GoPro maybe and we'll make a reality TV show of it next. Um, That's a
0: great idea.
1: (laughs) Is it though? It is a a very valid question and I know I do get it asked a lot in Simpsonville. Like, oh, I guess we're never going to see you. But, you know, it's just, again, my girls are going off to college. So I've got nothing to do but bop around from wine bar to wine bar. That sounds so, like a rough life. I know. Terrible. Oh, and the tastings that I have to do. Uh, oh, yeah. Daily tastings. We call it research, before. right? Yes, market research, yes, of course. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. Well, that's really exciting. So let's talk about how this all began. You can take us back to as far back as you think is relevant to how you ended up here today. You know, You're, the, you're an entrepreneur. You've created your own brand. You've created this new concept. Because in researching the business, there's not a lot of wine bar franchises out there. I okay, no, no. You know, I want to open a wine bar. Okay, buy this franchise and we guarantee your success. <laughs> so a lot of the concept and the experience has come from you. So take us back all the way to the beginning.
1: Gosh, how long is the podcast again? <laughs> we have enough time? Well, it's funny that you say I, I am an entrepreneur. I, I grew into that. That's kind of not where I've started I was in collegiate athletics for 14 years um, as a a women's lacrosse and field hockey coach. I started that up in New England and slowly transitioned down here. Um, It was a huge part of my life. I went to school for sports medicine. I was a a varsity athlete. Uh, Sports have always been a huge part of who I am. And I think that experience has actually helped me a lot. Transitioning into an entrepreneurial role, you know, you constantly have to evaluate, you constantly have to stay fresh, self-evaluate, not just about, you know, where you want to go, but how your people are perceiving, you know, the things that you're bringing to the, uh, the table. Authenticity is huge. You learn that. It's very raw, I feel, in college athletics. 18-year-olds are going to see right through you if you're not being truly authentic and genuine with them. That was one of the other biggest things that I really want to make sure comes across as we we meet new people in our spaces with my staff that people feel truly valued. And again, that we, we evaluate ourselves to see whether or not these things are actually what the people want. So it's very humbling in general. Mm-hmm. So college athletics, 14 years. After that, there was a potential shift for us geographically. So I resigned, thinking we were going to have to move back north. And then that actually fell through after I resigned. So I needed to, again, re-identify myself, which was terrifying because that was all I'd ever known was collegiate athletics and, and that role, so I decided to actually try my hand in corporate America. My dad has his own business, my brother has his own business, so I felt that I could, you know, I could easily delve into that particular environment. Um, and it was a real estate investment company, small startup. So again, I knew that we were. I was excited about helping to build a team and, and grow something kind of from the bottom up. And I did learn relatively quickly that that's just not the cloth that I am cut from. Mm-hmm. Again, when we talk about the authenticity of that, uh, it just wasn't there for me. So it was a nine-month stint for me. Um, it was nothing against the people that I worked for. They were all wonderful humans and, you know, it had a lot of conveniences and perks. But just for me as an individual, I just was hoping to get a little bit more gratification out of what I did every day. So then we started uh, a toffee business. So it was uh, what I called a toffee dessert bark. We had a lot of different flavors. We started out just a project for my two daughters and I.
0: And that was here in South Carolina? That
1: was here. Yeah, right here in Simpsonville, actually. Yeah. So at the time, my youngest was uh, doing rhythmic gymnastics. So relatively expensive. She had some upcoming Uh, Competitions that we needed to get to, and it was my attempt at showing her, you know, a little bit of sweat equity. So we we made some of these dessert barks. So we walked around our neighborhood. She went door to door, explained what she was raising her money for, Um, and we had a wonderful neighborhood, very supportive neighbors. So of course everybody bought some of their dessert bark, and then that kind of grew a little bit in popularity. And then we had the grand idea to approach the Simpsonville Farmers Market. This was back in 2015 um, to uh, see if we could potentially you know, have a little booth. The girls could work on there. It was one day a week. It wouldn't be a big deal. And they did let us in. Very last minute it was like in August, so we had maybe two months in 2015 uh, where we were able to be at the market. So the girls were there every Saturday with me, and we actually developed a little bit of a following for it. So that opened up some seasonal markets, and then the next summer it was five farmers' markets, and then that next fall it was Lowe's grocery store, and uh, wow. yeah, that it grew was, quick. It really did. Yeah. Uh, so that was part of it. It became very overwhelming, a little bit taxing. So with the support that we had, people started to encourage a brick and mortar. So at that point, it doesn't make sense to have a toffee shop. Like, that's not very, I don't think that's going to be very lucrative and long, you know, longstanding. But we had partnered with a number of different breweries and with Cityscape Winery uh, to do pairings and, you know, individual kind of promotional stuff with them. So I stumbled, literally stumbled upon our location in Simpsonville. The door was open. I knew they were renovating it, so I stuck my head in saw the bones, and just got, you know, reached out to the owner immediately, and it all happened very quickly. We were actually, he had a, a potential tenant with first right of refusal, so he kind of already, you know, let let up, and I'm like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be, but they found another space, and he contacted me. He's like, I don't want to rush you. However, kind of need to know within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so There's
0: that opportunity knocking again. Exactly. Right. That's exactly. where it all started. So. But at this point you're thinking I'm going to sell toffee for a living. Well, not
1: necessarily. No, I'm not toffee for a living. I knew that was going to be a part of it. But oh, okay. my initial vision was with all of these friends and, and you know, people that we had met at these markets, amazing people, amazing producers, you know, that just had no real place to outside of markets to showcase their stuff. Um, So that was my initial vision that I would be able to give this opportunity for local artists, local producers. Hmm. Um, I mean, not like a grocery store type thing, but that we would have, you know, kind of shelf stable stuff. We'd have beer and wine. I'd have my toffee, obviously. And that was kind of where it all started. And I mean, you talk to people that came in that first day because our first opening day was a sip in Simpsonville event. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with that citywide event. So they uh, they create these stops, local merchants become stops, and you come in, you get your sample of beer or wine depending on the time of year. Um, and it's just a great opportunity to get people through your space. Uh, mm. The city does it twice a year. It's, again, it's a fabulous event. And that was my first day. So I mean, I had uh, virtually nothing on the walls, but uh, again, that was our introduction to the community. We were there. We got to meet people. I think they had like eight hundred people come through that I was gonna year. i going to say
0: you probably were slammed that day. Yeah, yeah. Having never done it before, exactly. Right? And that's yeah. I,
1: we had like five, four or five days to get everything in because they had literally just finished putting, you know, the, the urethane on the floors. Like every, like I couldn't get in any earlier. So yeah, it was a little bit stressful, but again, it was one of those sink or swim. So we still have people that are like, I remember coming in that first day because it is nothing like what it was. We have evolved, just like I feel like, you know, like I said, a collegiate team and program has to grow and evolve. You change your systems, you change your lineup every four years, you know, a similar type of a concept. So as people would ask for more things and other things might not be as well received, then we just slowly transitioned organically. We started with just wine and (sighs) bottled beer. And then I brought in the tap system and then I increased the number of taps and, you know, now we've grown our beer business to be almost at least 50%. Um, yeah. So I
0: didn't know you had taps.
1: Yeah. we got eight taps now. Unless I got
0: distracted by the wine. Well, it happens. It
1: happens. Beautiful bottles. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So that was part of the rest of my goal was, you know, I, I wanted everybody to, to feel that they had something that they could enjoy, not just, you know, a girl's day or, you know, just a bro's night. You know husbands are comfortable letting their wives come wives are comfortable letting their husbands come like it's date night it's like i said college reunion day it's it's something for everyone
0: so where did you grow up
1: i grew up just outside of toronto so born and raised canadian country girl Mm. there are canadian rednecks i'm probably one of them
0: (laughs) representing Um, the canadian rednecks (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) and so your dad was always an entrepreneur
1: uh, well, no, not at He was owner? corporate. He was corporate oh, too. Corporate? Yeah, yeah, for like 20 some odd years uh, and then decided to kind of branch out on his own. So, and that actually was what enabled me to kind of be able to move down here. So I got my green card here when I was a minor. So I, I transferred to the university of New Hampshire, in my sophomore year, studied sports medicine, mm-hmm. played lacrosse.
0: What business did he go into?
1: Uh, sourcing. So he's got uh, an office in China. An office in India, so his he was a purchasing agent before that. So focusing predominantly on like electronic components, but now he and my brother have expanded it to virtually anything. So,
0: so you so you had a, an entrepreneurial uh, example in your father. You're going to college. What drew you to sports when you were going to college?
1: I mean, I have you two, played
0: lacrosse in high two school, brother?
1: Uh, no, not not in high school. No, like I said, we were. Two country for lacrosse at the time. Uh, softball, basketball, volleyball.
0: You played all those. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was
1: always in always in season. I don't know how many of you know much about Canada, but every small town has a ballpark and an, and, and an ice rink. Mm. So I'm a horrible skater, so I never really got into hockey. No though. hockey? No hockey for yeah. me. A <laughs> yeah. little, little street hockey. We dabbled in street hockey and pond hockey, but yeah, no, no formal hockey training here. But again, softball, I played that competitively, and that's the one thing that you... If you know anything about lacrosse, uh, very a lot of similarities between basketball and, and softball or baseball, a lot of the same fundamentally. But, but yeah, so it was a nice easy transition for me.
0: Always seems similar to hockey to me. That's probably because I've never really watched a whole lacrosse game.
1: Well, and the men's the men's I would say the men's game more than the yeah. women's. So okay. they're very different, very oh, okay. very different.
0: So I want to talk about how you ended up in college in the United States, and mm-hmm. then how you transitioned out of that to get to you to where you are now. But before we go down that road, let's hear from one of our sponsors. This episode of Unusually Successful is sponsored by Ringo Fire Marketing and Advertising, recently named the 6th fastest growing agency in the nation by Adweek. Located right here in Upstate South Carolina, Ringo Fire is the unagency providing customized marketing and product innovation services tailor-made to fit your brand's goals, and get your products in front of the right audience. Ringo Fire delivers next-level web services, video, photography, and expert account management. Ringo Fire is a client-first creative agency on a mission to ignite the success of your business. Visit ringofire.com to see what fuels one of the nation's fastest-growing agencies. So you go, you come to the United States, and you're in college, and you decide you want to be in sports management?
1: At the time, well, sports medicine. Medicine. when what I went through for. And it's just not, wow, I mean, I talk to some kids coming out of those programs now. It's just not the same experience. We were so fortunate to be able to actually even travel with the team with no certified athletic trainer. We would tape, we would administer, we would evaluate. Um, this I is mean, while you were in college? Well, I was in college, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I...
0: For what sports, like across the board? Oh, We had
1: to have everything, yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you had your low risk and your high risk. Um, I worked with the, uh, the volleyball team. I worked with the tennis team. Um, I worked with the football team. Great experience college-wise mm-hmm. so with, with getting all that practical um, experience under my belt. But I still remember we had one seminar, and we had the athletic trainer for the Boston Red Sox at that time um, come and speak to our, our class. We got to ask all kinds of questions and I've never really been one to bite my tongue. So as you know, one of a handful of women in the program, of course I raised my hand I said, what are, you know, what are the odds of a woman becoming a head athletic training somewhere within a professional organization? And, uh, I appreciated his answer. He's like, not very high. Really? So I decided at that point in time that, Potentially athletic training was not going to be my future career path. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had no intention of and no disrespect to, you know, to, to the people that are happy with, you know, high school type of, if, of athletic environment. I just wanted to be at that the highest athletic, not even so much about like corporate ladder type stuff like that, but I wanted to be around the highest level of athletes um, and, and having that type of experience career wise. Not that I was not afraid to build my way up to get there, but I wanted to know that that was truly an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have been a little bit more of a groundbreaker, I suppose, but at the same time I chose to go a different route. I got into coaching right away. Very fortunate in that regard. While
0: still in college,
1: uh, just out of, so, just out I of. Did, yeah, so was, you
0: stuck with your major
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I did. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. I and I, I would never, I actually loved the knowledge, uh, learning mm-hmm. how the body works, all of that stuff. And th- that's an everyday thing that you apply. Mm-hmm. So I was very grateful for that. Education was very, uh, intriguing to me. It was very captivating for me. Um, so I had a wonderful coach at the time who mentored me and getting a lot of the, the jobs that I, I was able to get, you know, and I think that we kind of forged forward in a lot of different ways. I was a, a working mom brought kids to campus that was virtually unheard of when we first started so again I was very fortunate that the institutions that I work for were also forward-thinking and had a lot of great athletic directors that were women that again were able to inspire and encourage me to do other things within the programs so yeah I'm very very grateful for that whole side of my life and what it has brought to me and what it has allowed me to do and explore you know as an individual
0: so when you get out of college, you go right into collegiate coaching?
1: Not right away. So I actually, i now look geez, it's like now I've, all my memory bank's been reopened. Um, I did a small stint as a receptionist and I coached at high school for, gosh, less, it was less than a year. So same thing, helped start a, a high school program with another friend of mine. So mm-hmm. I did the JV and helped assist her in varsity. And then that's when um, a position opened up in Virginia, Northern Virginia. So I took a risk, sent in my application, and again, under the endorsement of my former college coach, uh, yeah, they took a chance on me, and that's kind of when it got started, so about a year out of college.
0: And when did lacrosse come into your life?
1: It came in freshman year college, Mm -hmm. so I did my freshman year at a university in Canada. They had some open tryouts, so we went in, and luckily I was athletic enough. They taught me the skills that I needed, and, you know, it just kind of grew from there.
0: You played at a pretty high level in college for lacrosse.
1: Yeah. I transitioned a lot from positions too. So I was on the field and then I transitioned to a goalkeeper. So, which, uh, yeah, you take a lot of hard knocks in
0: there. I was going to say, that sounds like it could be painful. (laughs) Oh, it was. Yeah. It was. I think I
1: still have bruises, but, uh, (laughs) I didn't have the quickest stick, but I had good, good hand-eye coordination. So a lot of body saves. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh.
0: (laughs) Body saves. (laughs) Too many. So uh, your experience with col- with uh, coaching in college, you stuck with uh, lacrosse in your coaching career as well.
1: I did, yeah. I was fortunate. So at the school uh, up in Maine, they had uh, an opportunity to expand to create more opportunities for female athletes. So they were adding a field hockey team. And recruiting-wise, you do get a lot of young athletes that play both sports. They're a fall sport and a spring sport. Uh, again, similar type of athleticism required for both so especially in the northeast it's very common to have athletes that play both of those sports Mm -hmm. so they thought well why not if you're recruiting for lacrosse let's get you recruiting for field hockey too i never played field hockey ever Hmm. i'd never held a stick so again the fact that my athletic director just had faith in me that uh, my knowledge of again sports and the body and how it works and training that we'd be able to whip a team together uh, and we did and it was funny, we had, I think it was probably my, th- I coached field hockey there for three years. And I think on my third year, I had one of my girls that had, like I said, I'd been coaching her from the get-go. And I'd finally made some comment about having never played. And she was just like, what do you mean you never played field hockey? So oh, no. I said, <laughs> I'm like, I, I never played field hockey. I'm like, why do you think I don't demo anything? <laughs> <laughs> you guys do all the demoing. So there was actually, it was, it was a very special time. She's like, I had no idea. Like we just, uh, you know, the, that they kind of supported me and, and again, and everything that we were doing. Um, And it was very eye-opening that that school in that first four years there, had a very, very special recruiting class that I still keep in touch with players from and to be able to, you know, go on Facebook now and see all of their their families, their growth, you know, and now I've got my kids having kids. It's, uh, It's amazing. And to have them still reach out to me.
0: You think about all the impact that, that good coaches have on students is that it's really life changing. It, it can, can be. be absolutely. a lot of times when interviewing, I know that just playing at a, at a college level of any sport is an endorsement on a resume mm-hmm. and then their ability to be coached. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my, in my business, you know, you, I I'm always thinking about coachability. Absolutely. You
1: know? Well, and, and, team player. And, yeah. you know, that's even when I was coaching and I was working with assistants, uh, it was always my goal to prepare them for the next level. I was never that coach that said, well, you're just going to be my assistant for life. You're never going to want anything more. No, like I, I would be in there doing team laundry with them. It wasn't just a, well, you're just here to be my minion. Like, and so I, I kind of look at that with my employees now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm there to demonstrate, how to do things, not to just dictate what needs to be done. I'm actually a a horrible, I I really don't pass things off very well on my office. So one of my, one of my goals, I got to get better at delegating. But again, I just don't want people to think that I'm taking advantage of them in any way. I want them to know that I'm there to, to do the dirty work as well as everybody else.
0: I mean, that's really the definition of the difference between a boss and a leader. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, a leader (laughs) inspires people to follow them. Mm -hmm. A boss motivates people out of fear Mm -hmm. of consequence. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. You know, if you ever have to remind somebody of your position within a company, you're probably being a boss,
1: Yeah, you know?
0: you got to listen to me because I'm the boss. <laughs> I own this place. Whenever you go down that road, you're like, uh-oh.
1: We had a, a moment the other, probably a couple of weeks ago at the shop, um, this very nice young lady came in, and everybody's just chatting. We're you know, talking about wine, talking about this, and she just was just like, so do you work a lot of hours here? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I work a lot of hours here. <laughs> You'll probably see me quite a bit in here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's a great job. I love, I love it. it. I love it. Yeah. owner's great.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't say that, though. That was the whole thing. I was just like, I just left it at that. No, I Yeah. Do. I work here a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's. I think it's nice that when your employees see you taking on any role, mm-hmm. then they're going to naturally follow your lead. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, if you've made the right hire, they're going to pick up the ball and go, okay, that's what I need to do, too. Yeah. You know.
1: And we, I think they have. But at the same time, I'm still not that naive person to think that I'm going to get, you know, a a lifetime bartender. So like I said, I, I hope that they become inspired to someday go and maybe open their own place yeah. or, you know, something along the lines that, you know, but we do, we have amazing people that have developed their own following within the community, which is wonderful to see, you know, people come, Oh yeah, is, is Blake working? Oh, is Cameron working today? Oh, where's your daughter today? So again, uh, the community has also taken a huge vested interest in our people, not mm-hmm. just our wine. Yeah. So that means a lot to me too. Again, just reinforces and validates that I have the people with me right now that are supposed to be with me. Yeah, that's so. good.
0: And I'm sure going back to the coaching experience, you were you, you obviously realized that this is a kind of a short time, short-term gig for the student. Mm-hmm. right? The most they're going to be there is going to be four years. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking about recruiting developing, but the retained part really isn't there because you know they're moving on.
1: Especially for the industry. I mean, just by nature of the industry, it's it's not known for its high retention rates.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and I think that we've already superseded a lot of those expectations. Sure. But no, hundred percent. Uh it's in every patron that comes in, there's always that, you know, I get people all the time, oh let me know if you're let me know if you're ever hiring. Let me know if you're hiring. So I think the time will come when again organically the right person walks in and we have a great connection. They understand what we're trying to bring to the table, mm-hmm. um, and trying to offer, and uh, but also going back to there's days where I look back and like oh I don't know that I handled, you know that situation the way I would have wanted to. Um, you know making sure that the people that work with me feel validated and cared about is incredibly important to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are times too where again that goes back to that ability to self-reflect and self-evaluate, that it can't always just be your way or the highway. Like Mm -hmm. you really need to consider intent. Um, And nine times out of 10, I think that's where people kind of get misguided. They don't look at the intent of or potential intent of an action of another person. And it just, you know, they make their assumptions. And so that's what I'm trying to avoid.
0: Did you ever have people on your teams? Because you were in coaching 14 years? Mm Mm-hmm. So did you ever have students or athletes on your teams that were there to play but didn't necessarily have the heart to win?
1: All the time. And I like to say in general, like I've never been that coach or parent that, you know, has their head up in the clouds that we're, you know, we're, we're going to win championships, we're going to do this. It, you need to be have a, have a realistic base first and then be able to inspire once they can realize that there is a goal that they can achieve and they believe that they can, and then they achieve it, mm-hmm. then that's what's going to set you up for that next goal, that next platform, that next uh, whatever it may be in, in, in your life or, or game or whatever career path you're on, as opposed to just setting some potentially outlandish, unreachable goal. Um, National
0: championship ex- every year. Exactly.
1: You know, and it's If you it's, don't want it, you're a loser. <laughs> it's our first year <laughs> in the program. I've never picked up a stick before. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> But again, just making them see the value in themselves and that they can come out the next day and get better. Yeah. And then the next day they can come out and get even better and, and show them the small victories and how important the small victories are to be able to achieve the bigger ones. And paint that big picture for them and hopefully show them the steps to get there. Uh, that's kind of what we did the foundation. I mean, out of all of my coaching careers, I've started Started two programs from scratch. Well, if you count high school, then technically three. Um, and then had to transition my last one from just, uh, they, they did the initial transition from Division two to Division one before I got there. But it was a, still a huge shift that had to happen after the fact. It was only two years in by the time I got there. So there's a huge kind of dynamic and bridge that needed to be gapped. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about evolution and open-mindedness and communication. So, and everybody communicates differently. That's definitely one thing I learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got 20 <laughs> 19 to 21-year-old young women. There's yeah. a lot of communicating <laughs> going on. <laughs> so, what was your
0: greatest accomplishment in your coaching career?
1: Oh gosh. I see I'm a terrible I'm, I hate numbers. So, stats have never really been my thing. I really feel like it's it's I see it more now that I've gotten out of coaching and it's those relationships um and having just i think we touched on it earlier just having those players reach out and and inform me of the impact that we had mm-hmm. or that they're getting into coaching now and they they hope that they can have as much influence on their players that I did on them um you know having them message me about you know various i was i'm always a, I'm a sentimentalist so you know I would always do things for my seniors create videos and stuff like that and you know now they're showing their young daughters their video of You know their senior their senior video and and how it impacted them so it's really not a a numbers or statistical thing for me more than it is that human connection that sometimes you're too close to realize is there and it's you have the opportunity to realize it after the fact once
0: you step back exactly yeah why did you get out of it
1: we just thought that we were going to be moving that was well that was the uh you know the factor Mm -hmm. um but to be honest i i don't know that i would have been able to stay in it much longer anyway my girls were getting older I was starting to miss out on things that I wanted to be there for again they were starting to get into sports and organized uh, you know organizations and, and wanting to do things and I wanted to be there for that so it's a lot to you know to put everything into 18 other children and have your two at home like oh you're going away this weekend or you know having them sleep beside you on the team bus and like Yeah, this isn't exactly the total quality that I wanted to be able to offer them. So it would have happened, I think, within a couple of years anyway. Mm -hmm. But that just kind of spearheaded it a little bit sooner.
0: So the last time that we uh, kind of shifted back to your past, you were talking about how you and your daughter. Uh, started the toffee business Mm -hmm. and it kind of grew and then you ended up finding the space of where you're at now. Last time I was there, I was not offered any toffee. So I I think that the vision maybe for the store changed.
1: (laughs) It has over four years. It is, it is definitely um, transitioned. And again, I use the word organic, maybe too much, but that is, it's really how it's, it's kind of developed. I made a commitment on our one year anniversary instead of celebrating it on You know, the 11th of May, we were going to celebrate for the whole month of May. So by celebrate, I meant we were just going to do something every day. It could be a trivia night, music, comedy, whatever. So I booked out the entire May calendar and then I didn't stop. And that was really where we started to kind of create a new new niche for ourselves, where people looked at us a little bit differently. And I started to make great connections within the musical community here in the area I mean, we get musicians all the way from Spartanburg out to Easley, Greenville, uh, Simpsonville. And then they tell their friends. We've had musicians from upstate New York, from Nashville, from Colorado um, that are passing through town. Asheville, we get some musicians from Asheville still. So it's been great to kind of bring some of that to Simpsonville as well. But, yeah, the vision just slowly changed. And I just would find something else that I was passionate about we started doing tastings uh so again offering some educational type things and just events that people can just come and enjoy and again create some memories with met some great people within the industry so again just kind of developed that network for myself which just further you know inspired my passion I got my level one psalm test passed so that's another thing that we're trying to develop as well to become that next level of sommelier so -hmm. get all fancy and bougie but yeah so it's been amazing the friendships that that we've developed and eventually it did kind of transition that people really wanted to focus on the live music and supporting that scene and and growing that scene Uh, so we did have to kind of take some measures within the shop to accommodate more seats and that's kind of where the transition slowly happens. It's been about the last two years that we've kind of slowly started to become more of a venue and develop more of a reputation mm-hmm. for the music scene. For an experience mm-hmm. as
0: opposed to just a wine bar. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And our musicians sense that too. That's why, again, like I said, you'll look on our, our roster and you'll see that they want to come back. Yeah. They want to keep coming back because they have a space that they feel appreciated in by our patrons. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you found the location, did you have a business plan?
1: No, I still don't really have a business plan. I, I know everybody in the business world is cringing right now, <laughs> but I think that's been part of, and I hate using the word success because I, I don't think that, that we're done and I don't take anything for granted that we're going to be able to open our doors tomorrow. So I feel that part of it is just being able to, you know, to adapt and to flow. And I feel like sometimes you can get kind of, hardwired in when you get like I said I'm sure all the business majors are like oh woman you need to (laughs) you need to do something (laughs) you need to have some sort of a plan
0: like hey it's working so far (laughs) Ah, yeah
1: I mean I I sleep at night so there's that
0: I mean were you profitable right off the bat I mean you you signed a lease on a property I did yeah and you start selling wine and toffee yeah right
1: yeah at the time and
0: uh and obviously the uh the Simpsonville event kind of gave you a kickstart. I mean, 800 people walked by your store, exactly. even though there was nothing in there, Exactly, you know, um, just a smiling face <laughs>
1: and some free samples. But you're
0: like, Hey, this might work. I mean, at <laughs> what point did you, did you realize, Hey, well, obviously if you signed a lease, you at some point had decided this could be a thing that I can do for a living. Well, right. I the, hope so.
1: The people that know me they I, I do have a tendency to be a little stubborn. Yeah. So I, I've always been, I myself and my ability to work hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and I felt, well, there's anything I can do anything hard for a year. And then the year turned into, you know, a three year extension, all that jazz. So it's one of those things where it's, there was a lot of days where it was just myself in the shop, just hoping somebody would walk by. Mm. And then I was able to have some people uh, volunteer basically their time to, to help me out. If there was a, I actually, i still officiate college women's lacrosse. I do that in the spring, so you know I had to recruit some some wonderful friends to uh to assist me on those days that I had games, uh games I should say, and uh to see them try to bring their friends in you know it was just again organically. Uh, I've always been able to support, to have people around me that were very supportive and encouraging on those days where it's like, well, we didn't see anybody today, but I know tomorrow's a new day. (laughs) They're going to come tomorrow. Build it and they will come.
0: I mean, did you have a background in wine? No. I mean, I drank it. You like it. Yeah. You liked it. (laughs) It's made from grapes, (laughs) I think.
1: (laughs) But no, uh, I I should say this though. My brother uh, is in China. He's been there for, oh my gosh, 25 plus years. He lives there. Lives there, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. he has a bar over there. Mm. And I bartended a great little towny bar right out of college. Uh,
0: Americans can own bars in China?
1: He's Canadian. Oh, Canadian, yeah. So I think, I I know, but I feel like there's that expat type, I don't know, I think they're a little more friendly to Canadians. I we were connected, right, yeah. So yeah, no, he's had his bar over there for 23 years, 24 years. Wow. So, I guess there is a little bit of genetic.
0: Did he give you advice? Did you talk to him about it before you did this?
1: You know, there's got
0: to be a plan
1: for once. You know, for once, my brother actually did because I've impart. walked
0: by some really cool spots and I thought, man, I'd love to put a something in there, but I didn't walk in and sign a lease and go, "Hard work's going to make this thing work." Oh, I know. Well, <laughs> Maybe I that's the difference between you and me.
1: <laughs> Maybe I don't. Or yeah, like I said, I'm sure people are like cringing right now, going, "Oh my gosh!" I like how, it. How? Maybe sometimes um, we think too much.
0: You know, well, there's too much planning going on and not enough doing.
1: I think so, and that's where again, like I've. I always like, it's, again, it's not necessarily a sense of pride for me per se, but attention to detail, not always my thing. I like yeah. to think that I, I see the bigger picture. And my youngest, actually, a couple of years ago, I just can't look at buildings the same anymore. Like any anytime I go into a, a building, whether it's, it's in, well, not so much office buildings. I'm not really in those very often, but especially the more historical buildings. Uh, I just I can't help but the wheels just start turning on what you could do and how you could kind of transform it and what type of, uh, you know, unique little space it could be. The smaller, the better. Been very fortunate, um, you know, to have done some traveling. We've been to France. We've been, you know, to to Portugal, to Spain. Um, So to be able to see some of these other spaces and again, just the, the environments that it's created has been inspiring. My, yeah. my daughters have caught that bug too. So, you know, they're my little co-conspirators anytime we go into, especially anything brick, they're like, Ooh, what do you think? What do you think you could put in here? <laughs> what could we do here? So yeah. So again, n- numbers, I, I understand them. I can do them. I don't like them. Uh, they, they weigh me down. So that's why I have people that deal with numbers. Um, and I actually had a very good friend that said, uh, you know, you need to invest in your weaknesses, not in your strengths. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to support yourself and to bring people around you that have the same type of strengths as you. Uh, but that's not really acknowledging the fact that you have weaknesses and that's where you're going to need your help. So yeah. that type of planning I have people for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like it. That's that. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that, it's uh, you got to, you know, be willing to take some risks and, and get creative. That's always been my goal is I don't I want to be, you know, I don't want to be reactive. I want to be proactive. So even when You know, everything started to go down with the pandemic. Um, I tried to stay as much as I could on top of it for my business. Uh, We were fortunate that we didn't have to close completely in Simpsonville because we could sell bottles retail wise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So then it became, well, how do I get people in here to to sell bottles? Uh, How can I expedite? You know, we're able to do a short amount of kind of delivery type stuff. So we worked things out that way. Um, I supported my musicians. We did uh, webcasts uh, where they could just tap into our system. So, I mean, you know, they'd come in and they, you know, gets them out of their living room and mm-hmm. gets them a different viewership, uh, you know, because they're coming through our social media platforms. So it's about, again, just being able to utilize that creativity, come up with that next, you know, big play. How am we going to beat this next defense type of a, a scenario? Um, so you get to be creative and kind of just stay on the front of things.
0: What are your daughters studying in school?
1: Yeah, environmental. I got one going off to the University of Hawaii. Oh. Yeah, so she's going into environmental conservation. Um, and then my youngest is going to the University of Toronto. So back to my, my back roots. Back to Canada. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and she wants to also get into environmental. Eventually, right now, her goal is environmental law. So yeah.
0: You've got to save those uh, grapevines. I know. <laughs> Right.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> that mama can going. drink. So that mama can drink. That's
0: right. We've got to keep the product flowing. <laughs>
1: exactly. Because I might need it in a few months, as you keep reminding <laughs> yes, me. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I've got no plan. I've got, I've got,
0: well, I like I'm your crazy. style. <laughs> I, I like your style. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this episode and they're going to be like, wow.
1: Yeah, or she's talking about just jumping in
0: head first. I love it. That's great.
1: Well, life's too short not to try.
0: You think you could ever franchise your concept?
1: No, I don't think so. No, why? It's about the feeling. And I feel like that's exactly what's lost. I didn't do any of this to get rich. You know, I I never expected to have more than one location. Mm -hmm. Again, you talk about the plan. The plan was to create an amazing space that I was proud to go into every day that I, you know, that I felt contributed to the community. Mm -hmm. And we just were fortunate to be able to have other areas of the community that said, hey, we'd, we'd kind of like to have this too but I don't want to sacrifice, you know, that whole concept of family and, and comfort and, and loyalty. And I think that that's where that can get lost. Um, and I feel that as a patron people would, you know, I'm not here to be greedy. I'm just here to bring experiences to a community. So, uh, I think you start getting too, too big and that's, that's where it's, it becomes again, disingenuine. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my, that would be my biggest fear. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we just got to, got to keep it real and keep it comfortable.
0: So what's the overall vision for sweet sipping? I mean, you might as well open a couple more in January. <laughs> I mean. Might as well.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I might not have another venture in, in some other capacity. I do like the excitement of being able to, to take something from one vision to the next. I enjoy that. It, that is very exciting for me. And maybe it comes in the form of I'm helping somebody else do that mm-hmm. versus something that I personally am truly invested in because I really want to be able to give everything that I have to the spaces that I'm creating. I think that can be difficult when you you get a little bit too big. I want to know my people. Yeah, I want to, I want to be able to see them, I want to see them at the grocery store, I want to be able to have conversations with them at the dog park, whatever it is. So that's that's pretty important to the overall growth and development for me mm-hmm. is that i'm still very much an active part of it
0: so no more than three
1: you can't time it down man come on <laughs> i told you i don't have a plan i don't have a plan so I'm by the time
0: to... you leave here we're going to make sure you have a plan <laughs> know, sorry. it's bothering me oh, you I'm don't so have a plan sorry. i know i'm so sorry i'm so
1: sorry I hate to disappoint that's probably another one of my personality flaws i love I'm, it i'm, I'm just trying pleaser. to figure it out <laughs> trust me me too every day every day yeah But no, it's, it is, I'm incredibly grateful. That's the whole thing. Like I don't expect anything. So everything that we've had, I'm very grateful for. I like to think I bust my tail for as well. So I think that's, you know, part of it as well. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I still couldn't have done it without all the people that I have around me, whether it's patrons, whether it's staff, you know, family, everybody has just been an amazing sounding board and, and everything and supporter like they really are.
0: So do you think you could teach someone else to do what you've done?
1: I think I could have conversations and again, if nothing else, encourage them to not be afraid to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sure that uh, any type of business analyst, analyst, I should say, might look at what I've done and, and, you know, they could say nay nay like 10 times over. But I guess the reality is part of it has worked. And that, I think, comes through the storytelling and the sharing of my journey. And hopefully that whether it's just a matter of inspiring somebody to take a chance so I think that's something I bring to the table versus an actual textbook business operational standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think we mentioned it earlier. I think that people can get bogged down with that a little bit too much in life, whether it's, you know, they think that their whole life has to be run by a textbook and it's just not we all know that's not the reality. You know, you gotta learn to to hit that curveball instead of just dodge it.
0: So what advice would you give to, other than just go ahead and do it, because I have a feeling that's what you would say, (laughs) other than just go ahead and jump in and do it, what advice would you give someone who's maybe in a different area that wants to have a similar business as yours or just wants to follow their dream?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think the big thing is you have to ask questions and you you have to be willing to self-evaluate. I think people can get into their own heads too often. I think that they can think that, they have their plan and that's you can't deviate from a plan or that they're never going to be ready and like I said I think there's life decisions that come into play with that as well and it's you can't control everything and I think once you give up a little bit of that kind of control is when it'll open you up to other opportunities and other perspectives which I think can sometimes get lost Uh, so talk to people ask questions and, and don't be afraid to recognize that maybe your initial plan or your initial vision, it may have a flaw mm-hmm. um, that you can't see. You're too close to it. And that's where, again, being able to to have those people around you that you trust and and that you know will support you, I think becomes huge.
0: Yeah. What was the biggest mistake you've made in this whole process?
1: Oh, gosh. We'll find out in three months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, may, that may turn to be it. Um, there was a time again, same thing where uh, I didn't necessarily believe that it could be done. So again, that self doubt can really, really impact you. Uh, I was fortunate that I did have a couple of a couple of the ladies that were supporting me early on that were my biggest cheerleaders. Mm. So, I mean, I haven't lost the farm yet. Uh, I had sleepless a lot of sleepless nights. Worrying about, you know, how we're going to kind of pay for this particular, you know, round of inventory, Uh, but you just, you can't let it get you down. You can't let those little, little hiccups and those little mistakes, uh, and the other, I think, thing for me, fortunately, was never... Again, I say it now bite off more than you can chew financially. So we've always, everything I've done, it's, that's why it's been so slow and organic initially Mm -hmm. with getting Simpsonville up and running. I remember people saying, you need a sign. I'm like, I don't need a sign. Like this is happening slowly. And every year, we'd get a little busier because people were telling people and that way we were able to manage our growth and always be on top of it and, and provide the level and quality of experience that I wanted to, instead of, you know, doing something too big too soon and having people unhappy or feeling like they were unattended the way that they should have been. So it's okay to do it slowly too. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be zero to 60. Uh, and I look over the past four years uh, and our, our, you know, we've, we've had a time in Greenville and what I learned from that experience, so many nuggets that I'll take forward with the rest of our expansions. So yeah, as far as like big mistakes I think I've been fortunate thus far to minimize that. Made a lot of little mistakes along the way. A Mm -hmm. lot of little mistakes. Continue to make little mistakes along the way. But I think the fact that I've recognized them and, and acknowledged them is what has prevented a huge disastrous error. So knock on wood.
0: And a reoccurring theme that I hear in this whole story is it seems like you were, once you started, is that you were completely committed.
1: 100%.
0: And I think that with anything if you're always looking back over your shoulder or you're providing a parachute, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I'll drop back and do this or that. I've not heard you talk about that in this whole time that we've spent together. It's just always, Hey, I'm moving forward. Yeah. There's going to be rough times, but in reality, just being committed.
1: Agreed hundred percent. And again, I, I know I've talked a lot about acknowledging failures and mistakes, but it's also acknowledging the things that work. Mm-hmm. and continuing to support that and whether that it doesn't always has to come in the same fashion. You know what I mean? It's just, well, people enjoy this type of thing. How can we manifest that and still create a different experience but still embracing what it was? And again, that comes with talking to people. So what did you like about this event? Well, what do you like about that particular beer? What do you like about that region for wine? So again, listening is also another key component, I think. But yeah, I've always that, the commitment factor and, and I'm competitive You know, I think there's that little drive in me, too, that's, you know, combine that with a little bit of stubbornness, and failure's just not really an option, and I've got two colleges to pay for now, so we're... uh you got four more years of
0: Sweet sipping, There's your There you go. There's your motivation and inspiration. <laughs> said, There's my plan. That's right. We've got a plan. Hey, hey. I told you we would wrap up the show. There we go. With I got a plan. You walking out with a plan. <laughs> I got a
1: plan. I will not fail for four years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Julie, thank you so much for coming oh, Sean, on the show and sharing your story. We look forward to hearing uh, about all the future success of so. Sweet Zippin. Thanks, Sean. We hope you enjoyed today's show.
1: If you want to hear more conversations like this one. Follow us on social media and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.
0: Unusually Successful is hosted by Sean Dipple and produced by Dan Johnson. Our show is sponsored by Sharp Business Systems of South Carolina.
1: Voice acting by Becca Caser and music by Finding Freedom.